Hey, everybody, it's Bax. Today's podcast is brought to you by the folks at Canna Provisions. Canna Provisions is an adult-use cannabis dispensary with the largest selection of cannabis products in western Massachusetts, with locations both in Holyoke and in Lee. They offer a warm, unique shopping experience with guides rather than bud tenders. In fact, they're not just a dispensary, they're a destination. Visit CannaProvisions.com. CannaProvisions.com. Adults 21, please. Please consume responsibly. And now, time for Baxi's musical podcast. It's Baxi's Musical Podcast. When the Beatles released three albums in 1964, people thought, hey, you know what? That's a lot of Beatles albums this year. Considering today's standards, where an artist releases a record every three to five years, sometimes even longer, the Beatles, by comparison, seem pretty busy. But compared to my guest today, every single musical artist over the last 75 years, by comparison, is an uninspired slacker. Since I started this podcast, I've tossed the word genius out there a number of times. The truth is, calling somebody a musical genius depends largely on the person calling him a genius. Can anyone write music? I suppose. Could anyone write, record, and play all the instruments for thousands and thousands of recordings? Maybe, if you had the time, but not everybody has the ability to create great songs, thousands of songs, that are simultaneously catchy, inventive, quirky, complex, beautiful, entertaining, and hilarious. Sometimes all within the same two- to three-minute-long song. Because in my opinion, that would require the work of a genius or something pretty damn close to it. Since 1969, multi-instrumentalist R. Stevie Moore has released more than 400 albums. Not just 400 albums. Most of them have been double albums. That number includes a staggering number of cassette tapes, compilations, live albums, re-releases, some of the most astonishing and fantastic experimental pop songs that you probably haven't heard. However, in each of the four documentaries that have been made about Stevie, it becomes clear that Stevie is arguably one of the most prolific songwriters of all time. In fact, in the 2019 documentary entitled Cool Daddy-O, The Second Youth of R. Stevie Moore, he is described as one of the greatest overlooked composers of the 20th century. What makes his career even more incredible is that he has produced, recorded, released, distributed, and written the music for each of these albums largely by himself in his own home. But it's not even about the way that he's recorded his music. What's even more remarkable is the sophistication and genius of his craft. These are songs with twists and turns and chord structures and melodies of a man who knows exactly what he's doing, and he's been doing it by tapping into what seems like a bottomless well of creative reserve while refusing to be compromised by an industry which rejects that kind of experimentation and artistic productivity. Don't believe me? Listen to his 1976 album, Phonography, with songs like Goodbye Piano, or I Wish I Could Sing, or my favorite, Why Should I Love You? Or listen to his 1986 compilation, Glad Music, with songs like Pop Music, or I Like to Stay Home, or Part of the Problem, and hundreds and hundreds of others. And by doing so, you realize this isn't just some sort of strange guy in Memphis, Tennessee. This is an extraordinarily talented innovator who has used everything he can as a source of musical inspiration. So today, it is my absolute joy to welcome my guest, the brilliant R. Stevie Moore, on Baxi's Musical Podcast. 
Hello. Hi, Stevie. How are you? Here we are. Yes, it's nice to it's nice to finally connect with you. Yeah, same here. I'm uh, I'm all mixed up. I'm uh, pleased as can be, and I'm also petrified, uh, nervous as fuck. <laughs> well, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna try to 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 handle you softly tonight, if that's okay. Yeah, you might not get my best. Come on, well, come at me. Well, I, come I may, at. I may throw a couple of things at you, but I mean, there's. There's just there's so much to unpack with the with this and I and I want to start off by saying that you, first of all you you just sent me uh, a a Bandcamp file of uh, of the song Date and, and re-recorded it with Dave Gregory from XTC and I had just finished talking to him a couple of weeks ago and it's it, it's just great and and I, one of the things I wanted to share with you you know he sent he and I had been emailing with each other for quite a while and one of the and I told him that I was trying to schedule an interview with you. And uh, what he said to me was, I hope you coerce Stevie into chatting with you. He has a brilliant and somewhat eccentric talent that has been overlooked for far too long. He said he saw the documentary. He wanted to say hi. That's some pretty high praise from a remarkably gifted musician just like yourself. And I have to tell you, the more and more I dig down deep into your music, the more I'm just, I'm so angry at myself for (laughs) missing so much of it. The songs to me are... They're so brilliant that it's like I noticed that everyone seems to focus on the amount of music you've done rather than focus on the quality of music you've done. And I think that's I hope that's a big difference for you when you're doing an interview. I, I hope you get some of that. Well, of course, of course. Um, obviously, that's that's the ultimate for me, because that's what matters. And, I, you know, and a lot of times it, it's a. It backfires, and uh, it's like shooting myself in the foot by releasing so much over my lifetime. And, you know, forever, it's always been a thing where people, you know, that the man needs an editor, that whole thing. You know, and I, I agree, and I also think, you know, shut up. You don't know what it is. I can only do what I do, you know. Sure, there's a gift of knowing where to draw the line but for me no i don't draw the line okay you know if you need somebody to draw the line google it find a musician who draws the line (laughs) this is the ultimate thing about home recording you're not really supposed to to ruin your chances by sending out the, the substandard stuff but that's what i do Take it or leave it. But even the substandard stuff, you know, I mean, that's really a matter of your of your own interpretation. I mean, I, I see even the most experimental pieces that you've recorded and, and distributed. I mean, I see value in it. One, there's, a, you know, the, a great sense of humor to it, which reminds me of, in some ways, Frank Zappa, some way of Captain Beefheart, or some, you know, of, of, of other things. But in but on the other hand, you know, it, to me, it's some of the most interesting stuff you've recorded i mean i'm i'm a radio i've been a radio guy for the last 36 years and and you know i i know i can tell that well i mean i just you know to me it my whole career has been based on mistakes too but the mistakes it's kind of like jazz it's like you know there's no there are no wrong notes it all depends on what comes after it and i find that to be entirely true of even the most you know dissonant recordings you do that there are no accidents. It's part of what makes everything so interesting. Right. And again, when you enter the night, the 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 haunted house, it says right there at the front door that 
you're not going to be able to handle the, the quantity. It's overwhelm. That's my middle name. Yeah. Overwhelm. You know, you, you know, you mentioned about if had you had gone down a more traditional path, gone signed a record contract with a major label and started to release songs. There's no record label in the world that would allow you to record more than an album every two or three years, which would pretty much take a guy like you who's trying to reach into this generous wealth of creativity and innovation and stifle it just based on their own business model. I don't think a guy like you could have survived in that, even though I think you have world-class songwriting talents. I appreciate that. And again, I've always talked about the thing that all artists have demos. There's the word demos, you know, it's essential to have demos to work on your craft and get better, you know, and then of course we've gone through things where, Oh, have you heard the demo? It's even better. You know, <laughs> there, there's things that he did in the demo that he ended up not doing on the album version, blah, blah, blah. But for me, I've always hated that because you know, what makes a demo, you know, back in the days when we had all Beatles stuff, we needed more. And even the bad quality pressings with tape noise, that didn't bother us. We never thought, ah, oh, I just can't listen to this. No, no. It was, it was John Lennon in the background, you know? So, and again, so that just shows we're all so spoiled by entertainment, you know, and showbiz, everything's so polished. So anyway, but you know, this is really old hat for me, you know, when I'm still doing new interviews, and let's not forget the newbies, you know, I mean, that, that's important. People that are just now discovering was with what I've done since the 70s. And uh, I'm not doing so well nowadays because that's what happens with old age, you know. <laughs> and it's a crazy thing because I've retired and I sort of made a big announcement on my website on December 31st, uh, 2019 which was, uh, was only three months from the pandemic, you know, yeah. and I had, no, I had no idea about that, but I made a funny announcement. No more interviews. I said interviews, no more performance, <laughs> no, no more songwriting, no more rehearsals. Yeah. All of it. All of the things like, I, it's, okay, this is where it stops, you know, go to band camp and there's a huge show waiting for you there. You well, know? I, you and, know, I, I've I, I noticed that because when I noticed that I, I did know about the announcement of your retirement, um, but I also noticed there have been you know six projects released on Bandcamp since the first of the year, and here you here you are for whatever reason doing an interview with me, and uh, yeah, I'm honored frankly that you've agreed to do it. But but you've retired, but it's not like you're complacent. It's not like you're not doing anything. You're you're clearly doing something. It's mainly caused by health issues, and I'm just I'm fed up with the apathy and, and indifference with, you know, my concept of success, which is mail order, you know. Uh, and that's what Bandcamp Friday was huge two days ago. It, it's really bigger than ever, and I ha I'm happy with that. I, I, I do miss the old youthful things of... 2011 to 2014, I, I was around the world, never had toured before, never really had a, a, a solid band and a van 
and we were in Europe and uh, West Coast, Mexico City. I even went to Moscow for fucking one-off show. <laughs> we played at that 2013. Yeah. That was the same month. That was the same month that I played Mexico City. Another one-off. No, no tour to promote films, and that's another chapter. Me and my stupid documentary films, of which there are four or five. That's where the retirement comes in, you know. Yeah. Like I say, I. And what I miss more than anything, I have terrible arthritis in my hands, and I can't play like I used to. So what do I, what am I supposed to do? Kind of, I laugh at myself, and I listen to the old stuff from 30, 40 years ago. I'm trying to practice and get back into it, and even I'm, I got young fans that are asking me tabs and chords, you know, as young musicians do. And I can hardly even remember or even tell them what, what they are. But one guy out of nowhere got so into a song that's one of my favorites of mine. And I had to grab the guitar and think, wow, now this <laughs> really makes me want to want to get back. Because that's what my, my fingers create, these chord progressions, you know, and, and that's sort of what you hear in my music is, is chord progressions and counter melodies and the arrangement qualities of stop, start, and, and loud, soft, and all of that stuff. I mean, that's what, it's always what I've been into. But I, the retirement thing was a silly defiance. I it was de trying to be defiant. Right. I'm not sure, it does, doesn't matter if it accomplishes anything, you know, but it reminded me I had to quit touring in 2015 because i had i needed hip surgery because of bad arthritis and they wanted they wanted me to keep going and a lot of my my i even say it in the documentary like it's really a shame because all of a sudden my career seems to be starting to take off a little late in life <laughs> little too, little too late you know i finally had to tell my booking agents stop stop booking me you know, to stop because you have to do festivals and shit like that a year and I in advance. So I, I said, stop doing it. Let's wait and see. And I never came back to it. There's too much work. And my band members were all in their 20s. And they were, you know, we were having a blast, but I just couldn't do it any longer. It's just like a script. You know, it's a perfect script for a movie. You know, this, this old guy becomes a rock and roll star in his wheelchair. <laughs> You know, I, I was watching the uh, the documentary Cool Daddy-O. I mean, there's a couple of things that I thought were really interesting. It was mentioned in, the, in, in that film that you may be the greatest overlooked composer of the 20th century. When I, yeah. listen, when I listen to your music and, and dig deeper, and even, even the times when you are either re-recording the music or re-releasing the music, and I'm listening to what you're doing, these are comp these are complex songs. I mean, you talk about you know the chord progressions that you're that you're choosing. You know, when when Dave Gregory talks ab uh, about you, I mean, he he marvels at what you do. I had a couple of interviews with Jason Faulkner who who said that working on uh, "Make It Be" with you was one of the highlights of his career because I mean he had never worked with someone who just seemed to be in touch with something so different and revolutionary and maybe unappreciated at the same time. I mean, it's, it, to me, that's the, where this story really is, is about. It, it's, yeah, you, you took a, a, a maverick path to get through your career, but the end result is there's just a substantial body of brilliant music. 
I hope if anyone listens to this this uh, this interview and they will, that they really explore what's what you've crafted over the last fifty some odd years because it's remarkable. Thank you, thank you. And again, we're also dealing with this whole new world that none of us seem to have anticipated. The new youth, and we we used to make fun of how fast. MTV was bang 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 bang, bang <laughs> editing editing bang, bang bang bang, but that's long before we ever were cyber. So now you you, know, you can't keep up. So there's no way anybody's going to have any interest in somebody that has 400. But are they all good? Yes, they're they're <laughs> all the best. You have to listen to one at a time. It's just crazy to deal with. Not to mention the music business, as we all saw crumble. Mm-hmm. But even that's not. That even that's not new. We saw that in, with Napster and and you know MP3s and and it's like what's going on here, you know? And how does that relate to the independent artist? See, for me, I've always been locked into that. Yeah. But I'm ha- I'm happily locked into that. I mean, give me a break. All the stories, including Dave Gregory and Andy Partridge, you know, how the label just fucks them up the ass. Yeah. That's Hollywood. You, they're supposed to. You're supposed to know that when you sign the paper, you know. But you, like you said, yeah, you know, there's a lot more guys doing it independently the, the, now than ever be, than ever before, and yep. the 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 pandemic forced the hand of a lot of people too, where you know yep. they couldn't they couldn't get bands together and they had to share MP3s and files and you have have somebody have a home version of Pro Tools to put it all together, and they did yeah. it. I mean, and there's a lot of a lot of artists that did it that way during the pandemic, and that's how they survived. And so often I am recognized as a, as a reference point more than my for any certain song or in my music itself or phonography, the legendary first album, blah, blah, blah. But the whole thing about, you know, even before Pro Tools, the, the, the Tascam 4-track yeah. uh, cassettes, you know, studios. Yeah. Everybody did their own studios, and that's sort of what happened with the lo-fi thing. And I continue to this day try to downplay. Stop saying lo-fi. You know, it's DIY fi. Yeah. yeah. You know, because it doesn't matter how many overdubs you put on it, or if you leave it with vocal and guitar and a little echo. There's a million options. We all know that. You know, and we don't have to sound like 48 channel studios. When you started. Um, distributing stuff. You were doing it through by mail, largely on cassette. And what you were doing at the time, and I don't know if you, if you realize what you had done, but basically you were creating, you know, the, one of the first social medias, in a way. Because that's it, right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, really, that's what you had done. And I mean, you had fans that were constantly asking for more things, telling you what they what they wanted to receive. And, and you were, in a way you were, you were pre Amazon and pre Facebook all at the same time. So good on you. That's great. Appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One of the first things I, I remember, I was real slow to get into computers and, and the web and all that for me or for just, just this for anything. Uh, a lot of people were, I mean, I, I had a girlfriend who used a computer at work. I'm sure that's a common story with a lot of people that, you know, we didn't have one at home. But, you know, the, the girlfriend that, work, that work, works there knows so much stuff that I have no idea about. And, of course, I was even negative about it. I don't want him to know, you know. 
But the whole thing about um, is when Apple came out, you know, Apple and the, uh, I don't, what, a way to release music through it being on iTunes. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. The iTunes. Early 2000s is what I'm thinking about. But even at that, even at that point, I left it at home. Yeah. It was still at home. I wasn't really sending out files. Nobody could really do that quite yet, you know. A, a large zip file that 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 makes their email break down and stuff <laughs> like that. But then it be then yeah, the band camp for I think one of the first ones was Reverb Nation, and I used to laugh about that because that's where all the kids were going with their home cassettes. And I don't know I don't know why I did open an account, didn't stay very long, and it's been a while, and it's taken a while for Bandcamp to really. I mean, they've been around a while and they've been helpful for me, but now it's huge, you know, and especially for somebody like me who, you know, my story, you know, overkill. I love it. You know, I love all that (laughs) overwhelm thing. Do you dare? That's what they, that's what they say about Zappa, you know, and Beatles and all of it. Obviously your, uh, your dad was a, was a, was a tremendous musician, played bass for Elvis and, Orbison and Sinatra and, you know, Bob Dylan and, you know, did like, I don't think it was like something like 12,000 different sessions. Yeah. You know, obviously he's not as home as, as anyone probably would have liked because he's on the road most of the time. But at what point in your life do you say, I not only want to be a musician, but I might actually be really good at it. I mean, was there a moment where you said, this is exactly what I want to do? High school days. It, it was that early in school school days, and I had buddies, and that played, mm-hmm. and we all and we all grew up with a brand new Beatles single just came out yesterday. I mean, it's incredible to look back and at what, how we were living music. But anyone will tell you, I was always a bit ahead of the curve, and it was it was ears. And guess what? Of all things, I attribute those ears <laughs> to my late father. Because, I mean, the whole personal story is, is boring and horrific about how we did not like each other. We never talked hardly. We didn't know each other. And he just, he just passed away last year. It's crazy. But, and, and, you know, and I used to used to bring my dad up in interviews. Wouldn't you? You know, I would, obviously I did, you know. Sure. And my friends, my friends, at some point, my friends started saying, stop. Stop mentioning your dad, you know, because <laughs> it's about you, you know, because he's not, he's not you at all, you know, yeah. and yet I'm, I am him as far as the big hands, bass playing hands, uh, and the ears, he could pick up something within microseconds, you know, hmm. and not, not, not just something that's slightly out of tune, but he would just, he would hear the over that, like what I was saying, that, that, the, the the mel- counter melodies and things like that. What works harmonically, you know, it, it's complicated, but it's also s- simplified complication. You know, right. I, we, that was a good. I should write that one down. You, should, you should write that. Definitely write that one down. Oh, I've already lost it, Mike. I, <laughs> I, I have been I have been diagnosed with slight dementia, and boy, you talk about a fucking scare. You yeah. Know? So. So that's what's happening with with older age, and you know I'm on some medication, doped up all day every day. Not to mention the physical problems. But to all of a sudden have alarming 
memory loss. I walked in this room and I forget why I walked in here. And I'll turn right back around to the other room and it'll come back to me. Oh, I know why I was looking for that. <laughs> well, I and think it's, it's hilarious, but it's fucking sad and tragic. Yeah. I, and I'm having cousins that are going through the same thing. Oh, you got that too? Yeah. And I'll, and I'll say, got what? <laughs> <laughs> I will text you exactly what that term was. And so you'll have it. You'll have it written down. So I, I promise I'll, I'll bring it back to you. Next album name title. Next <laughs> yeah, album title. Okay. So I mean, yeah. Complicated simplicity. There or, or the other way around. Let me, I think that's it. Let me, let me ask you this because, you know, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by, you know, the creative process and how people, and how people come to it. You know, I, I interviewed, I interviewed Andy Partridge uh, over a year ago and we talked about, how he has the same thing called uh, synesthesia. You know, uh, uh, Brian Wilson has it, where you basically take one of your senses and it interprets, a, uh, like, music into uh, a color or a number or, you know, whatever it may be. A, a guy like you who is writing so prolifically, what, is the, what was the process of, of you writing music? I mean, it, did, it, did it all come out easy for you? I mean, to have that much music accessible in 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 your head and you know at your at your fingertips i mean i i wonder you know how does a guy get to that point okay i've got a song here and here's exactly how i want to do it tell me about that about that process if you can i wish i could i just i mainly because of memory loss but also just organically I don't even know that. Even then, I don't don't know that I had no methodology. I mean, I was an, a one man band connoisseur, so that was a major thing. And of course, that that wasn't really hard to to overcome because you know McCartney and Stevie Wonder and all this stuff that was happening. It's like, oh, we're listening to this band, and it's all one guy. So it's. You know, we saw that early on, and it, that was no big deal. And after a while, it came natural to me. But as far as, I, I think the first thing that comes to my mind, the only thing, because I didn't think I had, was going to have any listeners, we're, we're talking before cassettes, <laughs> seven-inch reels, quarter-inch tape. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I wouldn't even be, I wasn't even advanced enough to, for them, them to be half-tracked which is much better quality, only one side of the tape. I would use it as quarter track and then turn it over and you just like a cassette. <laughs> There'd be a, a side and B side. And on some, of course, you can hear a little bit of bleed through, leakage from the other side. Yeah. How perfect. That certainly wasn't planned, but that was just uh, my poverty and all that. But, but, but again, that's what my, if there's one thing that comes to mind, wasn't trying to write a song. It was trying to fill up this side of the tape. And that's how my original albums from the 70s Nashville came about because I would be I would be recording things but not rearranging them in sequence. That's that's outrageous to me. Just think about, you know. <laughs> it's almost like doing a radio show to where whatever you spin next, that's how that's where it's gonna be. That's right. You know, you and now now we live in an age where you clip, clip, trim, trim, clip, and you improve it up. We need to take that little bit out, quick, trim, trim, all that. It just it blows my mind. But I, that doesn't explain how how did I write those songs? I have no idea. And I'm, I've always been a musicologist, 
and, and a huge record collector and knew mainly through our friends, the Beatles, to have a, 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 a brash sounding rocker. <laughs> and then it stops and then comes in the most softest George Harrison song. And that was sort of my big influence was diversity. Yeah. I continue to this day. It's one thing to have the, the, the habit, uh, the, uh, the talent, and the accomplishment of, of knowing how to write songs and, and arrange verse, chorus, verse, chorus, modulate to another key. All that stuff, again, that comes from my dad, I think. Because I didn't take much music schooling. I took piano lessons, didn't like it much, but, that, <laughs> but they, were, they turned out to be very helpful. But I never sat around with my dad talking music, jamming music. It, it's crazy. And that made me a... And isolated, all of these things really helped me to become who I am. You the, know, the, the the hermit. You bring up the the musical diversity, and you know, it's 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 pretty evident in what you record. I mean, there's some songs that are gospel, there's some that have like you know jazz chords in it. You know, the, you've done a couple of albums of the Beatles. You recorded the a, you know, a cover by Sparks. Yeah, you, you you talked about Killing Joke in the in the documentary. I mean, these are it's a pretty. I mean, when you're talking about diversity of of your musical taste, I mean, you're not bullshitting yeah. around. I mean, that's I mean, that's that's pretty broad, and even that's only scratching the surface of what you you know what you appreciate and what you listen to. And hillbilly music, you know that that's another old chapter because I kind of hated country as a kid, <laughs> you know, in the '60s. Part rebellion, part, well, come on, this is like horrible. You know, this isn't anything. Give me Mozart any day. Right. <laughs> and same with blues. I, I had no interest. I didn't really hate it, but I just had no interest. And why would I want to listen to an hour of Muddy Waters and T-Bone Walker? Of course, these days, that's, I can't believe I was ever like that, you know, because that's <laughs> better than Mozart, you know. <laughs> right. And same with Hillbilly, you know, having to leave Nashville and the cowboy gray hairdo, the hair, there was hair metal and there was hair country in the, in the, in the 90s and stuff. One of the things that, you know, I, I do want to talk about specific songs and, and, and maybe your memory isn't, isn't, uh, isn't quite uh, you know, ready for some of these questions. But one of the songs that I really have fallen in love with is Why Should I Love You? And the, the early version is great, but the. The version that was redone on Glad Music, I think, was phenomenal. When you decide to redo a song, and, and in this case, you know, you've recorded it first in 1976, and again ten years later, what is it about certain songs that make you say, "I want to try that again"? I'm not sure. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't pinpoint that specifically to "Why Should I Love You," but my whole, my whole career has been kind of like that, just to try to improve it. And because, you know, obviously with, with, with the better quality, you're going to get more listeners and yeah. more, more people that like it because some of that stuff is muddy. And of course, I love shit like that. I mean, early. <laughs> yeah. Because back then I had no multi-track. Imagine that. I was using tape decks, but <laughs> bouncing reel to the next reel back to the other reel. I'm just copying, copying. And you do, they say you can't do that. I, and I did. Eight overdubs, ten overdubs. It's like, wait a minute. It's, you know, mic line mixing is how I did it. You know, you'd, you'd put one deck into the back of the second deck, 
and at the same time have a mic in front. And I, I got really good. I really got really good at that. I couldn't believe how did how did I do this? You know, <laughs> and and the one way to make that work to be a little techy, but it's not much, is that when you go on to that next overdub and whatever you're comp- going in the back of the tape deck with, keep that low. You have to keep that low and then the, or wait a minute, I got it wrong, total opposite. It's dementia. <laughs> it's just dementia. No, you keep you keep the one in going, the basic track, keep that high volume so that your new overdub will fit in because there's no going back and mixing it. See, that's the thing. So all phonography, all that stuff is done like that. I would do drums last. How weird is that? That had to be that had to be really challenging to sync everything up like that. Kinda. Yeah. I mean, that had to be that had to be the most challenging thing of, of all is is having some sort of synchronization. Yeah, but again, I, I was so lackluster with with perfection. For me it was always, ah, that's good enough. Next song, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and that's how I worked for decades. That that's why four hundred albums. Too. You're right. But but a great example of that, and and this is maybe one of my favorite, you know, Stevie Moore moments, is uh, is Goodbye Piano. Um, oh, there's there's a part there's a part in the in the song where you you bump into the microphone, you're singing in a falsetto, and you come out of the falsetto and say, "Oh, sorry." Any any artist in the world would have either redone the song or removed that. To me, that's my favorite part of the song. It makes me it makes me smile every single time. Because to me, like I talked about before, you know, in in radio, when I first started, our mistakes were some of the best things we ever did. You know, the things that took us off track were the things that people most appreciated because it was it's It's totally human. human. Exactly. And and to me, it's, you know, the kind of thing you I could see a guy in a studio doing it, but I can also see a producer say, okay, cut two. And and that would be lost forever. And I'm glad you didn't do it that way. Because it's, I think it's one of your finest moments. Right, and of course, that's one of the most popular songs for decades. Yeah, you know, the residents wrote me a letter. Did you see that? The residents themselves got my original four from phonography, and they wrote me a letter before anybody knew who the residents were. Seventy-eight wow. or so. Wow. Goodbye, piano makes me want to tear my hair out, and I never tear my my hair out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send it to you. It's all online. Yeah, and of course, of course, you've seen all of my archiving right there on the World Wide Web. And I've been having a blast with that for about 20 years. And you got a lot of dickheads that are always saying, you should see his website. It's like, you know, uh, a tripod era, angel fire with, with funny little gifts in the corner. And it, just making fun of it. It's hard for me to diminish what you do because, I mean, you know, I do a single radio show a day. That's really it. That's all I do. And, you know, once it's done, it's done. Maybe it's saved in a podcast, but maybe it's not. And, you know, a good part of my career has never been, you know, recorded and kept, and that's fine. But a guy like you to have done it all by yourself with, you know, some assistance here or there, maybe, maybe not. And then to produce this kind of uh, this kind of work, and then you know when you have a, like a band like the Residents, you know, a very obscure, very experimental band, citing you as an influence. I yeah. mean, and that can only be because of that 
strange lead vocal, I guess. You yeah. Because yeah. that's, that's what they that's what they were doing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's like children's music. Yeah. So before I forget, by the way, you got a fantastic radio voice. Oh, thank you, thank you. Well, almost as good as mine. WRSM Jazz eighty eight. <laughs> but you had her. I mean, you were in radio for a good long time, right? Yeah, WFMU yeah. in Jersey. That's another part of the story. I fled Nashville because I couldn't take the ignorance in the country southern boogie rock you know and so and i had an uncle who got me a job at sam goody's in north new jersey and i lived up there fucking 34 years and so much happened there good and bad but uh that's right you know and i did yeah that was college radio which is still going well mm -hmm. but back then back then it was a fantastic gift it was so art stevie more like because it was truly free form it's always claimed to be but it, you, you listen to it now and it's all just block programming you know people sure. trying to act you know act experimental but back then man we would like play a wagner symphony on top of sex pistols and you know right. we would just be non-stop a lot of spoken word things that became really you know underground popular back then steve fisk plunder monics you know just and and that's ironically that's all i do now here i'm talking about retiring and you mentioned you noticed well you've got six new albums out you know my, my new music making is all sitting at a desktop computer having fun layering shit you sent me some uh some files from uh from Bandcamp, and you said you're and you said you're gonna hate this but i didn't because to me it, it there, was, there was a lot of beef heart sounding to it i mean it, it sounded like if if beat you know if captain beefheart had an electronic voice recorder this is what he would have done the spoken word yeah okay well what that is is text to speech <laughs> you, you can feed text into a program and it'll talk it it'll speak out you can change voices and speed and all that but it's just nonsense and then i went and edited the hell out of it and had all different things with lots of edits uh, I wasn't sure if you meant beef hard because it's all spoken word. A lot of people can't even listen to it. I shouldn't have said you'll hate it. What I have been telling people is it's unlistenable. <laughs> <laughs> Which is even worse. That's worse than hating it. Well, you did you, you did bring it back. I mean, the last song on on the on that uh, on that record was you and Jason Faulkner. So I yeah, I'm you, you know to me well, everything is forgiven at that point. <laughs> unbelievable. You know so much about me. I, it's fantastic. Because that was just stuck on there without any purpose. I mean, it's needed a place to put it, alternate take. I think. Well, you know, I've I I have to I have to say, Stevie, and I, and I don't really mean to be just blowing smoke up your ass, but I mean I'm just going to do it anyway. I have had I, you know I've been doing this podcast since the beginning of the pandemic. I've had you know pretty good success getting a lot of you know real good guests, and I, and I'm and I've been very proud of what we've been able to do. But in all of that time, I don't think I've had more fun researching someone's career like i've had with yours and i've talked to people that have had you know 25 you know 30 records and you know it's like oh my gosh you've released so much and then and, and, and then all of a sudden here's you know you know stevie moore and i'm going holy shit you know you know here i am at one point surprised that sparks had 26 records and you've got substantially more than that 
and it's like there's there's genius to go around. But I just I, I've I've had so much fun, you know, getting to be informed about who you are and what you've done and and what you have accomplished, in in spite of the fact that not enough people are aware of who you are or what you have done. It's I I I'm blown away with everything I've heard. Well, big hugs to you. I mean, and again, part of that, all that you can you can imagine, and I'm sure you can even hear it in my music, or just sense the fact that it's driving me nuts that I can't get a Rolling Stone story or anything like that. You yeah. know, it's always it, the struggle has been so ridiculous. Um, today, I met him once. I think he's a fan. Kurt Vile, he's huge now. Mm-hmm. And I saw, I saw just a little, you know, I don't know, a TikTok or something like that. But he's talking, and like the fact that he's so huge, and I don't dislike his music. I don't like his music. He's a personality, you know. There are worse indie artists, <laughs> but I'm just going through the problem of why I can't, you know. And that's, of course, that's why podcasts like these help. But but I've had 50 years of it, and I just like, I just can't get. The best thing that happened, I was a wire cover story. Wire UK, yep. 2012. I'll send you a copy. I have a, I have a box full of issues. <laughs> <laughs> I, but it was brilliant. But it's such heartbreaking because I'm always telling people that's my first, only, and last magazine cover. You know, I've just not been able to get anybody to cover it. You talk about underground, nobody nobody comes close. And I try to I try to control my ego and my narcissism, but give me a break, you know. I, I, I need the I need the the hype. Yeah. I need it. It's a human problem. I mean, you've you've done all this work and everybody you know, who doesn't want the validation? And you know, who, I mean well, and people people pay big bucks for advertising you know and just to push 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 and put this there make sure this gets seen in there you know and i don't do any of that but when i tweet something i'll get five likes you know yeah. and then somebody else will get 176 but you know and it's a, I, I can't go by that i know it's just right. numbers it's 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 numbers and and also there's an algorithm that facebook uses to yes. almost almost squash any certain levels of, of of public promotion, but nevertheless, even though you've created this you know substantial body of work and you may not have gotten the credit that you deserved for it, you I think in many ways you were true to yourself and right to not go down traditional paths, because oh, yeah. I because I don't think there's a chance in hell that you would have been able to improve. Uh, as a songwriter, as an arranger, as a composer, I don't think you would have been given the chance, and I think you probably would have been pushed down to even deeper uh, obscurity had you gone down that road. I don't think that would have been a proper place for you. I think a broader approach, which is what you took, may not have been the most financially rewarding way of doing it, but on an artistic level, I I don't know how it could have served you better. Yeah. You're right. And again, it's a word of mouth thing. You know, like I told you early on tonight that uh, people recognize my name as being a reference more than they know, why should I love you? You know, so, yeah. but that that shouldn't be the case. I mean, I should have a little bit more validation as the word you used. And, well, and that's really what it's about, you know. 
and the people that you do find, like Dave Gregory, will totally agree and scratch his head saying, I don't know why. There's a problem. You know, he should be huge, you know, and not on, not on the charts or not even on the fucking magazine covers, you know. But it's just got to be part of that. And thankfully, the whole cassette culture thing often mentions my name. But as you say, they don't mention the songs. They they mention the the DIY fi, you know. One of my biggest problems, and and I have admitted this time and time again, is I have a tendency to when I discover music that I like, I I have this compulsion where I need to own all of it. And if if my wife saw me walk into the house with 400 records, she'd shoot me dead. And I can't say I'd blame her. <laughs> I, she would blow a gasket if I walked into the house with that much music. But, but you know. Same here. Yeah. And, of course, in my career, too, as you know, there's tons of compilations. The best of. The greatest golden hits of. You know, I mean, there's just so many compilations. And then you'll have the fans that'll say, well, forget those things. Go to the original tapes, you know, his original home releases. So, but, but like I said, the man needs an editor and it ain't my job. I don't, I don't care who <laughs> thinks what, what is best. I have to tell you, Stevie, this has been a real pleasure to talk to you. I hope we get, I hope we get a chance to do it again at some point. Cause uh, I mean, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And like I said, this has been a, a real joy getting to know your work. It really has. You do. And I feel we're close friends now, I mean, because I know where you're coming from. You get me. I totally I always, do. That's what I say to people. You know, people either get me or they don't. You can't really explain why. You know, it's, it's not really rocket science. Before I, before I go, what have you been listening to lately, Stevie? Red <laughs> flag. <laughs> I know. I wasn't I wasn't gonna hit you. I told you I was not gonna hit you with anything real hard. So I'm wet not... leg. <laughs> I love wet leg. Wet leg is great. They are great. Have you heard? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Let's be in touch. Absolutely. Stevie, thank you so much. We will be in touch. So here's your job. I'm gonna post a Spotify playlist of some of Stevie's best songs on social media. Do yourself a favor, listen to the man. It is totally worth it. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at backsatrock102.com. I'd love to know what you think of the podcast. Thanks again to Canna Provisions for their support, and you can support them at cannaprovisions.com. Thanks again for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.